0: This This is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Liv Oaf. So, I had a different introduction plan to the story you're about to hear. And then, only a few weeks ago, on October 28th, 2018, a shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue killed 11 people and injured 7, making it the deadliest attack ever on the Jewish community in the United States. And now, just days ago, Facebook's public relations company was accused of promoting anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And yet, Hanukkah starts next week, a holiday based around the idea of rebuilding. Today on the Second Story podcast, we're proud to bring you a story that celebrates a life that was rebuilt. A life profoundly shaped, but not defined, by anti-Semitism. Our teller today says that this story is an ode to her father the children of immigrant parents everywhere, and Costco. Second Story is proud to present Lara Garay.
1: It's a warm California Monday afternoon. Costco runs always happen on Mondays. My middle school is located just close enough to warrant a weekly trip to Costco and just out of the way enough to warrant a, Dad, why? I just wanna go straight home for once from me and a sweet baby. I just need to return a few things from him. Lies. We never went to Costco just to return a few things. I've never read my dad's will in its entirety, but I am almost certain that there is a clause dedicated to the bequeathment of his Costco card. (laughs) That sleek black plastic rectangle was even more valuable to him than his two exact replica 16th century gold inlaid Spanish Armada rapiers. He keeps his membership card sheathed in his wallet in the bottom right leather sleeve. As we pass over the heavenly warehouse hearth, his left hand dives into the back pocket of his light wash Kirkland jeans, his right whipping around to open his wallet and in one prideful motion, pulling out the membership card with its extravagant cursive gold E for executive on the front. He brandishes it at the greeter like the sword of fucking Excalibur. The greeter lets him through with the same non-committal nod that she throws at every other member, but my dad struts onto that polished concrete floor like the true executive that he is. I tug on his arm as we go to retrieve a massive cart that has no business transporting groceries, rather small boulders. I'll tell you how the Egyptians built the pyramids. Slave labor and Costco carts. Daddy. Can we get a slice of combo pizza on the way out? I ask in the most saccharine tone I can muster despite my dangerously low 3 p.m. after school blood sugar. Of course, sweet baby. With this card and the 2% annual rewards I get on select Costco purchases, you can have all the combo pizza you want because we're executives. <laughs> Gabor Laszlo Goodman. Was born in Debrecen, Hungary, in 1940. Later, his name would be anglicized to a less Jewish-sounding, Gabriel Leslie Garay. My dad gave warm hugs in worn-out from gardening fila sweatshirts. He always smelled like onions, either because he was eating them with bagels and lox, or because he was caramelizing them for paella, or borscht, or schnitzel, or guyache. He had a thick black mustache until the original run of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy convinced him to shave it off. <laughs> he drove a 1994 black Grand Cherokee Jeep. He was the king of email forwards. He was the best storyteller I've ever met. He bought Fuji apples and Smucker's strawberry preserves in bulk and he had a love affair with Costco because From ages four to six, all he was fed was watered-down soup and maybe a piece of stale soda bread if he was lucky. My dad was a Holocaust survivor, an immigrant and a refugee. He was 16 the first time he ate a banana. He bit straight into the peel. I've never met anyone else my age who has a parent who was a Holocaust survivor. Grandparents, sure. Great grandparents, obviously. Everyone at Hebrew school had a great Aunt Agnes who had a tattooed serial number they could rattle off by heart, but never parents. Growing up, this was kind of a point of pride, a badge of palpable history I wore on my chest, a series of thrilling stories I could spin at birthday parties and sleepovers. As I grew older, they would occasionally come up in history classrooms, and as I grew even older, I stopped telling them altogether, they made me feel lonely. There was no one else that understood what it was like. Why talk at all if you're speaking in a language no one else understands? I remember my dad's fantastical tales unraveling themselves at Passover or Thanksgiving. There was one story he particularly relished. When we were in the camp in Vienna, Njodjpapa, that means grandpa in Hungarian, found me the smallest, moldiest crab apple on his way back to the barracks and snuck it in past the guards. I bit into it and I remember this feeling, this wide smile spread across my face. It was as sweet as candy. We always had way too many apples in the house, but when they got moldy and wrinkly and dry, I'd still have to take them for lunch because after you've spent your childhood starving in a concentration camp thousands of miles from your home, wasting food isn't an option. I always wanted my lunch apples to taste like candy, but they never did. In 1945, when the Russians came in and liberated camps all over Eastern Europe, all the SS guards were arrested. My dad described thousands of Jews and gypsies flooding out beyond barbed wire and crude wooden fences descending like locusts on an abandoned freight train carrying food and supplies for the SS. He said people were literally diving into barrels of preserves, their rotting teeth coming loose from their gums as they attempted to swallow loaves of fresh bread whole. He remembered a few Collapsing onto the train tracks and dying right in front of him because they couldn't handle such rich food. A year and a half of watered-down soup leaves the body incapable of digesting much else. I think my dad bought jam in bulk because it served as a reminder of both the reward and the cost of freedom. Or maybe he just really liked Smucker's strawberry preserves and Costco had them on sale a lot. (laughs) Not a joke, eight years ago, Costco catered my dad's funeral. (laughs) His final days of a two-year battle with colon cancer were mostly spent to sleep in our home. I took on the responsibility of feeding my dad this clear, syrupy medicine that smelled like quinine. The oncologist said it was supposed to aid his liver in filtering out toxins which were building up in his body and making him lose his mind. I worked for a few days, at least he was still able to speak in complete sentences, but when he screamed in my face and told me to stop poisoning him, I gave up trying to dredge his body for the few ounces of sanity I hoped he still had. So, I replaced the syrupy quinine for Smucker's strawberry preserves which he would suck from the spoon and gurgle and smile at its sweetness and close his eyes and drift back into some kind of unconscious torpor. I'm 15. I'm sitting on a home rental hospital bed in my parents' master suite bedroom. The usually spacious room is cramped with people, my two uncles, my mom, my cousin Charles, and a hospice social worker, maybe her name was Cheryl. I am perched on this home rental hospital bed holding my dad's hand. I can feel it growing very cold and dry in mine. His breathing is shallow and then he takes one more breath. I squeeze his hand and it's over. My uncle Tom comes over to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder. You know he loved you very much. Everything's going to be okay. Of course, that was the last fucking thing that I wanted to hear, so I immediately wrench my shoulder out of his grasp, run downstairs and out into the garden. I sit on a bench we've had in our garden, under a live oak tree for as long as I can remember. Suddenly dawns on me that my dad bought it from Costco. (laughs) And only then do the tears start to come. Three months after my dad dies, I find myself in Mr. Searle's AP European History class watching Schindler's List for the first time. There's a scene in the movie I wanna say about halfway through the second VHS tape (laughs) where there are a series of quick cutaways and establishing shots of hundreds of naked men and women running around in circles. Their bodies are emaciated and somehow Spielberg's choice to make the movie in black and white provides more sickening vibrancy than color ever could. SS guards swear and spit at the detainees as they are herded like cattle around a muddy enclosure. This is some twisted method of medical examination. One elderly man is beaten to the ground for not running fast enough. His skeletal body squelches into the mud. I never once avert my eyes from the graphic images but feel like my insides are on fire and trying to crawl out of my mouth all at once. Mr. Searle eventually turns the movie off and continues his dry clinical lecture on Auschwitz, Dachau, and some of the bigger death camps in Eastern Europe. It was so bizarre to think about how, to everyone else, that period of history was so far away and archaic. But for me, it sat watching football every Sunday on the living room couch and picked me up from school and made me breakfast and drove me to swim practice and loved me and held me and told me bedtime stories that were Jungle Book ripoffs but way better (laughs) and called me his sweet baby I am trying to suppress the raging impatience that is swelling in my gut as I yank my dad away from the Kirkland Variety Pack chocolate samples Dad? Dad! Please, let's go. After cruising through every aisle and snacking on every sample, we crawl through checkout like the finish line of a marathon. With our shopping cart stacked high with Smucker's strawberry preserves and apples, among other things, we step up to the order window of the Costco food court. Hi there, we'll have two slices of combo pizza and two fountain drinks, please. My dad announces exact change at the ready. Mm-hmm, that'll be six sixty-seven. 67 The Costco employee ducks behind the glass window, and I watch her expertly cover the two slices of combo pizza in tinfoil and hand them over. As my dad hands me my slice, he pulls back the tinfoil, and a cloud of hot steam wafts over my face and fogs up his glasses for a moment. There you are, my sweet little executive. You've earned it. <laughs> I woke with a star, beating hard, to hear all God's creatures roaring
0: again. This story was curated by Liz Rice, produced by Gracie Meyer, directed by Dorothy Milne, and music and sound designed by Shane Longbean. The Second Story podcast is produced by me, Liv Ulf. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, our 2018-2019 to 2019 season sponsor, Skadden, ARP, Slate, Meager, and Flom, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Liv Oaf, and this, this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.